Elbert's Bad Word by Audrey Wood. One afternoon at an elegant garden party, young Elbert heard a word he had never heard before. The word floated by like a small storm cloud. It was ugly and covered with dark, bristly hairs. With a swick flick, swift flick of his wrist, Elbert snatched the word from the air and stuffed it into his back pocket. Forgetting about it, the boy went on his way. But the word waited patiently. When Aunt Isabella sang opera in soprano, the word made itself small and flew into Elbert's mouth like a little gnat. That's when the trouble began. Chives the butler tried to balance too many trays of deviled eggs. He dropped them all onto Madame Friata's gown. Madame Friata spilled her spritzer on Sir Hilary's bald head. Sir Hilary threw his croquet mallet up into the air. Then with a terrible thud, the mallet landed on Elbert's great toe. Elbert opened his mouth to scream, but the bad word sprang out, bigger and uglier than before. Everyone at the party was shocked. They couldn't believe their ears. Come with me, young man, Elbert's mother said with a frown. The word made itself small again, about the size of a rat, and followed in the boy's shadow. In the lavatory, Elbert's mother handed him a bar of soap. We do not say bad words, she said. Clean it out of your mouth and never use it again. While Elbert scrubbed his tongue, the bad word sat on his shoulder, snickering wickedly. Elbert knew something had to be done. He ran down a cobbled path past the reflecting pool beyond the gazebo and knocked at the gardener's cottage. The gardener, who was also a practicing wizard, opened the door with a smile. Come in, he said, and bring that thing with you. The wizard gardener knew right away that Elbert had caught a bad word and needed a cure. Opening his desk, he pulled out a drawer filled with words that crackled and sparkled. Sometimes we need strong words, he said, to say how we feel. Use these, and perhaps you won't get into trouble. Taking the sparkling words from the drawer, the wizard gardener tossed them in a bowl with flour and honey. He added some raisins, milk, and eggs, mixed them all together, and then baked a little cake. The cake was so delicious, so Elbert ate every last crumb. And as he did, the ugly word shriveled to the size of a flea and hopped onto his necktie. Everyone was enjoying Cousin Rudolph's oboe solo in D minor when Elbert returned to the party. But soon the trouble began anew. Chives the butler tripped on Madame Friata's feathered boa. Madame Friata dropped her chocolate mousse on Sir Hilary's bald head. Sir Hilary threw his croquet mallet up in the air. Then with a terrible thud, the mallet landed on Elbert's great toe. The music stopped. Everyone stared at the boy. Elbert's face grew red with anger. My stars, thunder and lightning, rats and blue bases, blazes, suffering cats, blistering hop toads, zounds and gazooks, he shouted. Everybody breathed a sigh of relief and gave Elbert three rousing cheers. But no one was more pleased than Elbert. As the music began again, he saw something that looked like a little spider scurry down a dark hole and disappear. Puss in Boots, retold by Susan Saunders. Once there was a very old miller with three young sons. When I die, the miller told them, as everyone must, I will have only three things to leave you. My mill, my donkey, and Puss, my faithful cat. To his oldest son, the miller said he would leave the mill. 
To his middle son, he would leave his strong but gentle donkey. All that was left for the youngest son was Puss the cat. Together, my brothers can make a nice living for themselves, the youngest son thought. They will use the donkey to grind their farmer's grain at the mill. The farmers will pay them well, but what will I have? After I've eaten the cat and made mittens out of his fur, I will starve to death. Not long after that, the miller died. His two older sons hitched the donkey to the millstone and ground the farmer's grain. Before the youngest son could make the family cat into cutlets, however, Puss spoke up. Just give me a sturdy sack, master, and a pair of boots for walking in the woods, and I will show you that your share is the best share of all. What did the youngest son have to lose? He could always eat the cat later. He found a sturdy sack with strings to pull it closed and a small pair of high boots. Puss tugged the boots on with a toothy grin. He hung the sack around his neck and set out for the woods. On the way, Puss filled the sack with tender green grass. Then he found a shady bank dotted with rabbit holes. There he placed the open sack on the ground. He stretched out next to it, lying as quietly as he was able. Puss did not so much as twitch a whisker. He did not even breathe. Before long, a foolish young rabbit crawled out of his hole. A dead cat is a good cat, the rabbit muttered. It hopped right into the sack filled with grass. Mr. Push pulled the strings tight. Presto, the tasty rabbit was trapped. Well pleased with himself, Puss hung the sack around his neck. He hurried straight to the palace of the king and demanded to see him. Tell the king I have a gift from my master, said Puss. When the king heard of the talking cat wearing high boots and asking to see him, he ordered, Bring him to me. The puss marched into the throne room and made a low bow. I have for you, sire, puss said, a present from the Duke of Carabas. The Duke of Carabas, that was a fancy name puss made up for his master. Tell your master, said the king, that I thank him for his rabbit and his thoughtfulness. I will remember his name. Thank you, sire, said the cat. Only a week had passed when Puss hid himself in a field of wheat. He filled a sack with the grain and left it standing open. Before long, two greedy partridges strolled into the sack and Puss pulled it close. Once again, he was off to the palace to see the king. The king was very fond of partridges. He gave the cat a small gift to take back to the duke. Now the king had one daughter, the most beautiful princess in all the world. And Puss heard that the king planned to take a trip with her along the river. If you do as I tell you, the cat said to his master, your fortune will be made. You must swim in the river at the spot I point out. Leave the rest to me. The miller's son did as Puss told him. While he was swimming, the king's coach rolled by. Puss shouted at the top of his voice, help, help. The Duke of Carabas is drowning. The king remembered the name, and he remembered Puss. Save the duke, said the king to his guards. While the guards pulled the duke from the river, Puss told the king a love story about robbers who had stolen the duke's clothes while he swam. In truth, Puss had hidden the clothes under a rock. But the king took Puss at his word. He sent for a fine suit to be brought from the palace. The duke was a handsome young man. When the princess saw him dressed in the fine suit of clothes, she fell deeply in love. The king invited him to ride in their coach. He invited Puss as well, but the cat had other business to attend to. Puss ran ahead of the king and his guests to the field where some farmers were plowing. My good fellow, said Puss, if you do not tell the king that this field belongs to the group of Carabas, you will be chopped into pieces like mincemeat. Soon the king came along in his coach. To whom this does this field belong, he called out. 
To the Duke of Carabas, the farmers all answered together. You have some fine land, said the king to the duke. Farther up the river, Puss found a group of country folk picking peaches. Listen to me, the cat said to the country folk. You must say that these orchards belong to the Duke of Carabas, or you will be chopped into pieces like mincemeat. When the king stopped his coach to ask who owned the orchards, the country folk shouted, The Duke of Carabas, sire! The cat stayed one jump ahead of the coach on its journey, and the king was amazed by the wealth of the Duke of Carabas. Finally, Puss arrived at a marvelous castle. The castle belonged to a dreadful but very rich ogre. He owned all the lands Puss had claimed for the Duke of Carabas. Puss had heard of the ogre and of his terrible magic, but Puss walked across the drawbridge as bravely as he could. The ogre was waiting on the other side. I know about your wonderful powers, said Puss. Is it true that you can change yourself into any animal you please? It's true, the ogre roared, and in the blink of an eye, he turned himself into a huge lion. Puss was so frightened that he leaped onto the roof, his boots sliding on the tiles. The ogre bellowed with laughter and changed himself back. Puss took a deep breath. I have been told, he said, that you can also take the shape of a very small animal, a rat, perhaps, or even a mouse, but I cannot believe it. Believe it, thundered the ogre. In a flash, he turned into a tiny mouse, skittering around on the cobblestones. Just as quickly, Puss jumped down from the roof. He pounced on the mouse and gobbled it up. Puss had hardly finished washing his whiskers when the king's coach rumbled through the gates. Puss ran to meet it. Welcome, your majesty, he cried, to the castle of the Duke of Carabas. What, said the king, this splendid castle is yours, Duke? I would like nothing better than to go inside and look around. The duke led them to a great hall at the top of the castle where a table had been set with a glorious feast. After the king had dined on peaches and peacocks, he turned to his host. Duke, it would make me most happy to have you for a son-in-law. That very evening, the duke of Carabas married the beautiful princess. Puss became a cat of great importance who hunted for mice rarely and then only for fun. Little Red Riding Hood, A New Fangled Prairie Tale by Lisa Campbell Ernst. Once upon a time, there was a little girl who lived at the edge of a great prairie. Because she always wore a jacket with a red hood when she rode her bike, everyone called her Little Red Riding Hood. Now, one morning, as Little Red Riding Hood sat eating her favorite wheat berry muffins, she had an idea. Mom, she said, it's going to be a real scorcher today. Grandma would sure love it if I brought her some muffins and lemonade. You know how crappy she gets in the heat. Little Red Riding Hood loved visiting her grandmother. Great idea, her mother said. So Little Red Riding Hood's mother packed the still warm wheat berry muffins and cold lemonade into a basket. After airing up the tires on her bike and testing the brakes, Little Red Riding Hood set out on her way. Now don't forget, called her mother, go straight to Grandma's. And whatever you do, don't talk to strangers. Sure, Mom, Little Red Riding Hood promised. Little Red Riding Hood pedaled down Toad Road past the gas station, the feed store, and the old Wilson place. She waved at everyone she saw, and everyone waved back. As the edge of town disappeared and the prairie began, Little Red Riding Hood zigzagged between the crops, taking the shortcut to Grandma's house. Blackbirds startled and sunflowers swayed as she whizzed by. What a nice visit this will be, Little Red Riding Hood said. Grandma simply adores muffins and lemonade. But who should be cutting through that same field 
and up to no good, I might add, but a very hungry wolf. When the smell of those wheat berry muffins came wafting his way, the wolf's nose quivered. Gazooks, he whispered. What is that scrumptious smell? The wolf rushed towards the heavenly odor. Whatever it is, I must have it, he growled. With one giant leap, the wolf landed right in front of Little Red Red Riding Hood's bicycle. Aha, he roared. Little Red Riding Hood slammed on her brakes. Hey, be careful, she shouted. You could get hurt surprising someone like that. The wolf chuckled at the warning. What's in the basket, dearie, he asked with a wide-toothed grin. Muffins and lemonade, Little Red Riding Hood said slowly, for my grandmother. But such a tantalizing smell, the wolf drooled. They must be very special muffins. Oh, they are, Little Red Riding Hood said proudly. They're my grandma's secret recipe, and they always take first prize at the fair. The wolf licked his lips. She must be a dear, sweet woman, he crooned. Do you have very far to travel? Oh, no, Little Red Riding Hood answered. Just over that ridge, this side of Turkey Creek. Mm-hmm, the wolf smirked, his mouth curling up at the corners. How fortunate. I have to go, Little Red Riding Hood said quickly. Grandma's waiting. The wolf slyly turned in the opposite direction and pointed. Ooh, he gasped. What beautiful flowers. Such a dear, sweet grandmother surely does have some of those. Little Red Riding Hood nodded. Gee, you're right, she said, jumping off her bike. Grandma loves flowers. Do you think she'd like these white ones, too? But the whistle of the prairie wind was the only response. The wolf was gone. Of course, the wicked wolf had a dastardly plan. Hardy har har, he laughed wildly as he raced through the wheat. First, I surprise that feeble old granny and steal her recipe. Then I wait for the kid in the red jacket to show up with the treats. Soon I'll hold the secret to those delectable muffins. And those two country bumpkins won't know what hit them. His evil chuckles drifted through the fields. When the wolf arrived at Grandma's door, he found a note on the door. Little Red Riding Hood, out in the field, love Grandma. This will be easier than I thought, the wolf snarled. Grandma's obviously off her rocker, wandering around in the heat. Muddled brains are so easy to persuade. The wolf cackled, feeling enormously pleased with his good fortune. But when the wolf searched the fields for Little Red Riding Hood's tottering granny, all he could see was a farmer riding a tractor. Impatient, he shouted, Hey, old man, where's the ancient granny who lives in the house? The farmer, though, seemed to hear nothing. Very well, said the wolf with a snicker. I love surprising these dim-witted hicks. And he began to secretly, silently sneak up behind the tractor. Then, before the wolf knew what was happening, the farmer whirled around and grabbed him by his fancy suspenders. Hold it right there, scoundrel, the farmer shouted. What in tarnation do you think you're doing? The wolf gasped and stammered, Hi, I'm looking for the frail, loony, muffin-baking granny me who lives in the house. Well, Sherlock, boomed the farmer, whose grip tightened on the wolf. You're talking to her. The wolf's mouth drooped open, and he began to shake. My, my, he finally whispered, What big eyes you have, Grandma. All the better to see you skulking around my fields, Grandma answered. My, what big ears you have, Grandma, the wolf croaked. All the better to hear you coming, Grandma answered. My, what big hands you have, Grandma, the wolf groaned. All the better to crush you like a bug if need be, said Grandma. And lucky for the wolf, Little Red Riding Hood rolled up just at that moment. Grandma, are you okay, called the Little Red Riding Hood. Sure, sweetie, Grandma said. Together they marched the grumbling wolf to Grandma's kitchen, Grandma lecturing all the way. Didn't you think that if it was a Little Red Riding Hood, there might be a big Red Riding Hood? I thought I got rid of bullies like you when I moved away from that forest. Might as well have to bite to eat while we decide to know what to do next, Grandma said. The wolf for once was silent, his mouth full of the delicious muffins. 
Of course, Grandma said at last. Soon after, Grandma opened her own muffin shop in town just west of the post office. The Wolf, he was her chief baker, sales clerk, and dishwasher, being kept much too busy to cause trouble for anyone. Naturally, the Wolf got to eat all the muffins he wanted, which improved his disposition enormously. But just in case he got any ideas about stealing Grandma's recipe again, Grandma always put in the last secret ingredient herself. Little Red Riding Hood, too, went to work for her grandmother delivering muffins on her bike. Every day, rain or shine, the wolf carefully packed Little Red Riding Hood's basket. Hey, kitty, called after her as she whizzed down Toad Road. Don't talk to strangers. And Little Red Riding Hood never did again. I'm Me by Sarah Sheridan. Peekaboo, Auntie Sarah, it's me. Peekaboo, Imogene, ready to have some fun? Yes, 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 I am. Can we play pretend? Yes, 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 we can. Let's see. Will you be a naughty monkey? And I'm feeding you fruit on a hot sandy beach in Zanzibar. We'll swim with the dolphins and splash in the waves and drink from the trees in the jungle. Oh, no, said Imogene. I'm not a smelly monkey today. Today I want to be... A beautiful princess, said Aunt Sarah. We'll wear pretty poofy ball gowns and big sparkly crowns. We'll ride on white horses and dance beneath the stars. No, thank you, said Imogene. I'm not some silly princess. Today I want to be a witch's kitty cat, said Auntie Sarah. We can whiz like the wind on a broomstick. We'll stir secret portions in a bubbling black pot and cast spells with our magic wands. Meow. No, not today, said Imogene. I'm not a scratchy, clawed cat. Today I want to be a talking, squawking pirate's parrot, said Auntie Sarah. The scariest on the seven seas. Sit on my shoulder and we'll search the ocean blue for buried treasure chests. I don't think so, not today, said Imogene. I'm not a chatty parrot. Today I want to be a dragon-taming knight, said Auntie Sarah. We'll teach them to swoop through hoops and loop-de-loop -loop and fly them high in the sky. A crazy dragon tamer, said Imogene. Hmm, not today. Today I want to be a far-out astronaut, said Auntie Sarah. And we're zooming through space, passing planets and stars, looking for aliens on Mars. No, no, said Imogene. I'm not an astronaut. Today I just want to be me. Oh, I see, said Auntie Sarah. And what would you like to do today? Follow me, said Imogene. Let's go outside. Let's go to the park and play on the swings. We can see who goes the highest and sings the loudest. I love the park, said Andy Sarah. Then what? We'll jump to the ground and toss a ball around, said Imogene, till we're puffing and we turn pink. Or we could eat ice cream. Mmm, the stickiest, drippiest, yummiest cones. The biggest we've ever seen. Delicious, said Andy Sarah. And after that? Maybe, said Imogene, we could go back home. And we'll snuggle up tight for some stories about witches and dragons and knights. Today, Auntie, what I want most of all is for you to be you and me to be me. And Auntie Sarah agreed. Pig, Pigger, Piggist by Rick Walton. Once upon a time, there were three pigs. A big pig named Pig, a bigger pig named Pigger, and the biggest of the three named Piggist. They all lived in the castle of their father, the king. One day their father called them in. 
pig, he said, when you were born. You were a little pig. And pigger, you were even a littler pig. And piggest, you were the littlest of all my dear, sweet, dirty babies. But now you are great, big pigs. And this castle isn't big enough for the four of us. It's time for you to go out and build homes of your own. Oh, yay, the pig said, homes of our own. And off went pig, pigger, and piggest. Pig found a nice muddy spot for his castle. He formed the mud into a million bricks and began to build. And soon he had a tall wall, thick brick castle of his very own. Pigger found a nicer, muddier spot for his castle. He formed the mud into a billion bricks and began to build. And soon he had a taller wall or thicker brick castle of his very own. Piggest found the nicest, muddiest spot for his castle. He formed the mud into a trillion bricks and began to build. And soon he had the tallest wall, as thickest brickest castle of all. One day there was a knock at Pig's castle. He opened it. There stood Witch, who lived in the forest with her two sisters. Big Pig, Big Pig, let me come in, Witch said. I am rich and I want to buy your castle. Oh, go build your own, Pig said. I'm a witch, not a builder, Witch says, and I must have your castle. Not by the hair on your warty wart wart, Pig said, and he slammed the door shut in Witch's face. Then Huff and Puff will blow your house down, and Witch waved her arms to the air. In came Huff and Puff. They blew, they thundered, and then they rained big drops of rain. Soon all that was left of Pig's castle was one big mud field. That same day there was a knock at Pigger's castle door. He opened it. There stood Witcher, who lived in the forest with her two sisters. Bigger, Pigger, Bigger, Pigger, let me come in, Witcher said. I am richer than anyone you know, and I want to buy your castle. Get someone else to build you one, Pigger said. No one will build for me, Witcher said, so I must have your castle. Not by the hair on your nosy nose nose, Pigger said, and he slammed the door shut in, the, in Witcher's face. Then Huffer and Puffer will blow your house down, and Witcher waved her arms in the air. In came Huffer and Puffer. They blew, they thundered, and then they rained. Big drops of rain, then bigger drops. And soon all that was left of Pigger's castle was one huge mud field, a muddier field Pigger had never seen. That same day there was a knock at Pigist's castle door. He opened it. There stood Witchest, who lived in the forest with her two sisters. Biggest Pigist, biggest Pigist, let me come in, Witchest said. I am the richest witch around, and I want to buy your castle. Oh, go conjure up your own, Pigist said. I can't. I only have one kind of magic, Witchest said, and I must have your castle. Not by the hair on your chinny-chin-chin, Pigist said, and he slammed the door shut in Witch's face. Then Huffest and Puffest will blow your house down, and Witchest waved her arms to the air. In came Huffest and Puffest. They blew, they thundered, and then they rained. Big drops of rain, bigger drops of rain, and then the biggest drops that had ever fallen. And soon all that was left of Pigist's castle was one tremendous mud field, the muddiest field Pigist had ever seen. The next day, Pig, Pigger, and Piggist all happened to show up at the same time at the door of a small but very nice hut in the forest. They knocked. The door opened slowly. Yes, said the witches. You make beautiful mud, said Pig, Pigger, and Piggist. And, well, we love you. You can make mud for us, and we will build castles for you, if you'll only marry us. You want to marry us, said the witches, as they opened the door wide. A fat tear rolled down Witch's face. A fatter tear rolled down Witcher's face. 
the fattest terrible down witches faced for no one had ever loved them before we do the pig said will you marry us yes witch said yes sir witch said witcher said yes witch said and the next day everyone turned out for the largest and most beautiful wedding that anyone had ever seen and when the ceremony was over pig and witch were very happy pigger and witcher couldn't have been happier and piggest and witchest were the happiest that anyone has ever been and they all lived sloppily ever after Library Mouse, A World to Explore by Daniel Kirk. One evening, Sam went for a stroll. He smiled to see the class projects children had made to place atop the library shelves. A poster on the wall read, Discover Our Great Big World. It is a great big world, Sam said, and I love to read about it. Then he sighed, gazing at the books on the very top shelves were just a little too high for him to climb. Suddenly, Sam saw something out of the corner of his eye. Swoosh! Another mouse landed gracefully on the floor right in front of him. Whoa, she said, that was some ride. Good thing I had my parachute. She stuck at her paw and smiled. Hi, my name is Sarah. What's yours? I, I'm Sam, he answered. I live here. I live here too, Sarah said, on the other side of the library. I was exploring, and that's when I discovered that playground. Playground, said Sam. Up high on the shelves, Sarah explained. You can almost see the whole world. I just went on that giant slide. I didn't know I was going to fall so far, though. You climbed all the way up there, Sam asked. He had never dared go all the way to the top. Sure, Sarah said. I'm an explorer. All explorers climb. Sam shook his head. Well, that's not a slide. You just went down the side of a pyramid. A what? A pyramid, said Sam, like in ancient Egypt. Only children made this one. There are pictures of real pyramids in these books you knocked off the shelf. Whoa, Sarah said. I didn't know there were books about stuff like that. Are there books about those other fun things that I was climbing, Sarah asked. You mean the Statue of Liberty and the Eiffel Tower, Sam grinned. Follow me. We're going to do some research, Sam said. We'll start with Egypt. What's research, Sarah asked. It's how you find out about things, Sam said. If you can't go to the real pyramids, you read about them right over here. Sam and Sarah poured over dozens of books, and Sarah oohed and awed at the pictures. She gazed up at the tall shelves and said, Research is fun. Let's climb up high and see what books are up there. Not tonight, said Sam, Sam said, looking warily at the tall shelves. Maybe we could play down here. Then let's pretend we're pharaohs in Egypt, Sarah replied. We can use these books for research on how to dress up. It was nearly daylight when Sam returned home. He picked up his pencil to write about what had happened. He had never met anyone like Sarah before. The next night, Sarah said, There's a jeep up there that's just our size, Sam. Come on, we can pretend we're exploring and drive to the top of the tallest mountain. I don't think you can drive to the top of the tallest mountain in a jeep, Sam said. Besides, we can pretend from down here. You're not afraid, are you, Sarah asked. Uh, of course not, Sam said in a squeaky voice. Sam saw that Sam, Sarah saw that Sam was nervous. We could always do a little research first, she said. Good idea, said Sam. While looking at a book about mountain climbers, Sarah had another idea. I'll be right back, she said. She returned with some string and a paper clip. I'll hook one end of the string up at the top, she said. Then I'll drop the other end down for you to tie around your waist. That way you won't have to worry about falling. I'm not worried, Sam said, as she started to climb. Soon it was his turn. He remembered he had read that when climbing he should not look down, so he didn't. 
at the top of the shelf, Sam breathed a sigh of relief. It hadn't been as scary as he thought it would be, and he and Sarah played and played until dawn. Back on the ground, Sarah said, you know, I'll bet we could explore even more of the world if we rode on that airplane over there. Sam looked up at the display the librarian had hung above the tallest shelves. It doesn't really fly, he said, and we couldn't reach it anyway. I know it can't fly, Sarah said, but think of how much of the world we could see from up there. We can climb to the top of this bookshelf, then jump over to the plane. It'll be easy. But Sarah would not take no for an answer. Sam, she said, tonight we're going to get into that airplane and we're going to see the world. Throughout the day, Sam was so nervous he could hardly sleep or read. He didn't want to let Sarah or himself down, but he didn't want to get into that airplane either. That night, Sarah led Sam to the top of the bookshelf. The airplane looked very far away. We're explorers and good jumpers too. We can do this, Sarah said. Sam clenched his teeth and crept to the edge. Follow me, Sarah said, and then she jumped. Sam jumped too and climbed into the seat behind Sarah. We're off to see the world, she cried. But just at that moment, the string that held up the airplane broke. Woohoo, Sarah hollered. Ah, Sam screamed. They sailed over the Eiffel Tower and the Great Wall of China, over the Statue of Liberty and the Great Pyramids. They sailed past volcanoes and mountaintops, past coral reefs and deserts, between dark rows of bookshelves and right out the door of the children's room. The airplane bumped to a stop in the dark hallway. Sam leaped out of his seat. He didn't stop running until he was back in his little hole in the wall. Sam, Sarah cried, come back. Explorers don't run from danger. Sam hid behind his bed and wouldn't come out. But later, when his heart stopped pounding, he went to his writing desk, picked up his pencil, and got to work on a new project. Readers and writers are explorers, too, he said. Wow, Sarah said the next evening when she saw Sam's book. Sam and Sarah see the world. We're both a couple of explorers. And we never even had to leave the library, said Sam. We didn't have to leave the library, Sarah said with a twinkle in her eye. But just think of the books you could write if you really got to go see the world. What do you say we take a little research trip? As they strolled through the library, Sam didn't know what to say. He had never met a mouse like Sarah.